0: Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest is evangelist Alison Fenning, who brings Christ's freedom to women. Alison, welcome to Facing the Canon.
1: Thank you, J. Thanks for having me.
0: We've known each other for quite a few years, actually.
1: I think it's probably nearly 18, 19 years, something like that. I think Mm. so.
0: Well, we're we're both evangelists. We are. So we sing from the same song shoot. (laughs) Now, you were brought up in a Christian home. I was. What was, where was that?
1: Yeah, that was in Bournemouth, down in Dorset. And um, I lived with my mum and dad till I was about 16. And then I left home at 16.
0: Now, you told me about these
1: comics. I
0: did. fascinated by that your mother passed on to you growing up. Tell us about these comics.
1: I've got hundreds of these at home. Have you? I, I still like to read them, actually. Um, yes, there's one in particular. These comics, mum used to take me down to the Christian bookshop and in Bournemouth, and uh, to keep me entertained, she said, would you like a comic? when she was choosing uh, real books. And uh, so I said, yeah. So the one that struck out to me was the Through Gates of Splendour, that I remember. And that one had quite a profound effect on my life uh, and my calling, I would say, interestingly enough. So when I read these comics, I used to think, this is what I want to do when I get older, when I grow up. And that was my intention, to be a missionary like Jim Elliot. Oh. So profound effect on my life, really.
0: That's amazing. And then just let me have a look at the, uh, the other comics. Alison, just—I mean, I read. All, I read so many of these, like God Smuggler, yep. Brother Andrew, uh, Born Again was um, Chuck Colson, Chuck Colson, it? and then the Cross and the Switchblade,
1: Nikki Cruz,
0: Nikki Cruz, and, and David uh, Wilkerson. Yep. They bring back so many stories and memories. Why did you leave home at sixteen?
1: Yeah. So my mum and dad um, moved. Uh, back to Leicestershire, and I was, I've i always been quite uh, stubborn as a person, is the word that they would use. So I decided in my head I wasn't going to go, and I want to stay and be with my friends. And my dad said to me, you can only stay if you get somewhere to live and a job. So I got both of those things and came back and said, I've got both of those things, so I'm staying, which they didn't like very much. But I did i did do that. I left home and stayed with a Christian family um, and got a job as a dental nurse from 16 years. Years of age.
0: But then somewhere along the line, you you got into the party scene. Mm, I did. Drinking. Tell I us did. about that.
1: Yeah. So um part of me going to work um was there's a little bit of drinking culture. And I the first I remember the first day I had my first alcoholic drink, which was probably just something like Lambrisco, I don't know. Can't remember. And but I loved it. I had my first drink and I thought I loved it and it makes me feel amazing. And so from that day on, I just thought I'm gonna do a lot more of this. And so everyone would say, you know, do you want to come out? Do you want to go to a nightclub? Because Bournemouth was a real clubbing and still is a clubbing scene. Um I've got definitely, I am the person. So that I just developed a lifestyle really, which went on for 10 years. Um during during that 10 years, I went to apply for, I think it was an 18, 1819 to a Bible college. And they they did, did the interview and they said, we don't think you're called and you're definitely not um, educated enough to be able to do the course so you wouldn't make the grade. And I was devastated because obviously I believed the comics that I would be a missionary. So what am I going to do now? I'll just do more of this. I'll do more partying, more drinking. And that led me to very dark places um, externally and internally in myself, I would say.
0: And would you say you got addicted to alcohol? Yes, I
1: definitely would, yeah. There was not a day go by where I didn't have a drink. And that is what I would call an addiction.
0: And when you say dark places, are you able to shed a bit of light on that?
1: Um, Yeah, I've got into many, many relationships. Um, I didn't care about myself. So therefore, I didn't care about anybody else either. So I was, you know, a completely wired, but I'm not calm. I wasn't calm on how I am today. Um, I was completely just an absolute nightmare. I could be up to all sorts any time of the day. You know, I'd be drinking whiskey at nine o'clock in the morning from beside my bed, um, which is not great. Yeah. So it, it, it all escalated. And I I did battle with an eating disorder as well within that. So I would be saving my calories for drinking, which is what I was doing.
0: And how long did that season last for? Oh, about ten years. Ten years. It's crazy. But throughout that time, uh, you were still thirsting for Jesus, definitely. And that you'd be, you'd be in clubs and. Bars and asking people (laughs) what they thought about Jesus. I was. Yeah.
1: So uh, I remember walking to the Zoo in the Cage, a nightclub in Bournemouth one night, and just saying to the, the, I'd already had a lot to drink, saying to this group of guys, what do you think about Jesus? I'd be like, planet are you on? Are you for real? And that was almost like my chat. I was like, I want to know.
0: Yeah, because obviously that that was deposited in you. So it was there, wasn't it? It was. In many ways, you were like the prodigal daughter. Yeah. So how did you come to your senses?
1: Yeah, so I came back from a, a full night of clubbing, I think at probably about three o'clock in the morning, and I stumbled into my bathroom, looked in the mirror, I didn't recognise who I was, and I can't remember if some incidents had happened that night, but I was very low in myself. I looked in the mirror and I thought, I don't actually recognise who I am.
0: That must have been quite scary. It, it
1: was terrifying. Um, and I'd almost got to the space where I I felt trapped by everything and didn't want to be here anymore. So I was in quite a, I knew I was either gonna go to jail for doing some things I was up to, or I was gonna um, decide to take my own life. That that was the mood I was in. I was in quite a dangerous place and I knew it. So I I thought, in the middle of the night, who'd you ring? You ring your mum. She's about the only person who probably answered the phone to me. At so, what time? Oh, I th- well, it was just after three o'clock. In the morning, you yeah, rang your mum. I did. And I, I don't remember much of the conversation, but I remember she led me in a prayer. And after I put the phone down. So to you basically
0: her, said, Mum, help me.
1: Yeah, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. And so she's, I think she said something along the lines, Well, your only hope is God. So we're going to do a prayer. So she prayed with me and, um, I remember putting the phone down to and then just praying my own prayer on the, floor, on the floor of my bedroom and saying, God, if you're real, please sort my life out. And so on the sun, this was a Saturday night, and on the Sunday I got up and thought, right, I'm one of them now, I'm a Christian. That So I must have recalled something and I went to my local Anglican church that that day.
0: Just turned up? I just turned
1: up and sat at the back. thought it's really important that I hear the preacher. That's all I wanted to hear. I wasn't interested in... Meeting people or anything, I just wanted to hear this the preacher and what he had to say. Don't remember what he said. I just remember this feels good. Um, And then I still partied all the time after that. I still went out that night. I think I went back down to the nightclub, but something was going that there was.
0: You wanted to break away from that. Not
1: at that time. No. No. Wasn't quite enough.
0: So, what was the next thing? So the
1: next stage was the vicar said to me, who was uh, Godfrey Taylor. Yeah,
0: he was the pastor. He was the
1: pastor at this Anglican church. He came to my house and he says, your life looks a complete mess. Definitely it is. He says, is. I'm going to Africa. Two months time, would you like to come? We'll pay for you. Come on the trip, have a month out and see what God does. So I went.
0: My word. So yeah. you're this broken person, mm. but this pastor...
1: Yeah, took a risk.
0: Took a risk. He did, massively. He obviously could see
1: redemption Something. and potential.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So within weeks,
1: within weeks, you're out in Africa. Out in Africa, from the clubbing scene, dancing on the tables, to singing Kumbaya in a house with no electricity, no hot running hot water or anything, or working on a building site with um, Ugandan people and hearing about God. I loved it.
0: Did you encounter Jesus there?
1: I did, I did. In fact, on that trip I preached my first sermon.
0: So did you encounter Jesus first and then preach?
1: Yeah, I did. Go on,
0: how did you encounter Jesus?
1: So I was on the building site one day painting these A-frames that you put up you know, on on houses. I just remember chatting to this one man then. He said, you really need to have some faith. You need to have some faith and put your trust in God. And, And that grabbed me have faith, I know about that from the comics, put my trust in God, I can do that. And because I I touched down in Africa, it it reconnected with the comics, the missionary comics I'd read. And This is what I want to do with the rest of my life. So I made a decision that day.
0: So you encountered Jesus and did you begin to experience salvation, healing, deliverance? Mm.
1: What I noticed is when I was out there, I didn't have any cravings for alcohol. All of the desires for everything, um, of for alcohol, for going out, for extreme behaviour, weren't there. Those behaviours weren't there.
0: And you preached?
1: I preached. So one day they said, we need a preacher for tomorrow at a different church. Who's up for doing it? I looked round the room, no one put their hand up. So I thought, I will. Oh, I'll, I'll have a go. What
0: thought, did How the difficult can say? it say?
1: Okay. <laughs> All right then. His wife came with me and as my And you basically
0: shepherd. said the little that you knew.
1: No, I thought, right, I have never didn't know how to put a preach together. So I thought, I'll read the Gospels. And what um, I noticed was Jesus always praying for the sick and healing them. So I'll talk a bit about that from Book of Mark. And then I'll pray for people like Jesus did. Not knowing that that's kind of not, not what we What was expected? No one said anything. So that's what I did. I preached an evangelistic talk with a bit of healing in there, a bit of deliverance in there, and then prayed for the sick. That was my first time. I've got a really nice picture of of that day, actually, on our website, I think. And you saw
0: God work?
1: Yeah, God worked on that trip, yeah. I thought, this is great. Let's do more of this.
0: (laughs) So when you were in in Uganda, Mm -hmm. you you felt this sense, hey, this is... a place I should be ministering in.
1: Definitely, yeah.
0: But still kind of vulnerable. Um, You go Mm -hmm. on a trip to America. I do. And another encounter happens
1: there. Yeah, so I went to America to work with um, Global Outreach Developments International to train missionaries. And I was there for two weeks to train the missionaries in um, I suppose what we call practical theology. And so on, on this trip, I walked into the place I was staying, who was um, the director's mum, who's Filipino. And she said to Mrs. G, and she said to me, I was with a friend called Alison as well. And she said, uh, I think we've been on the plane going out there, and I'd been having a few drinks on the plane. And uh, she said, Which one of you two's got a problem with alcohol? And I looked at my friend, also called Alison, thought, That's you. And then I thought, No, I've just lied. Actually, it's me. I am no one. She says, don't worry, God's going to deliver you on this trip. And one morning we were cooking breakfast together, all of us, there was uh, I think about 15, 20 of us there. Just having cooked breakfast, then we had a quiet prayer time around the table, not dissimilar to this, as she just gently came around and laid her hand on my shoulder, and as she did everybody else. And that day she said, God's delivered you today. From this day on, you mustn't drink And also you will despise the smell of it and you'll smell it a mile off. And that's true to this day.
0: True to this day. I
1: I can tell when somebody's had a drink as soon as I get in a building.
0: And you've never had a drink since.
1: I I have had a drink since, but not in that extreme way. Yes. Yeah, so I could, but I choose not to.
0: You choose not to.
1: Yeah, because I don't need to. You don't? Yeah, I don't need to. I'm completely free of it.
0: What would you say to anyone, Alison, that's listening, that's viewing now, who has an addiction? Mm. What would you say to
1: them? I would say, if you can get hold of God, if you can get down now and just say, Jesus, please help me, please set me free of this thing that's tormenting me, this alcoholism, a drug addiction, uh, eating disorder, whatever it is that is tormenting you, set me free and cry out to God and reach out and touch touch the hem of his garment, he will come and he will do the thing that you ask.
0: Could you say a prayer, Alison, please? Yeah, of course,
1: yeah. So Father, we just uh, come before you right now and I pray for everyone who is reaching out to you right now, even in their heart or in their mind thinking, is this possible? I pray, Father, now you would just touch them at the point of their need and set them free this day from that thing that has them in captivity. And I pray this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
0: Amen. 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 Well, you certainly have seen miracles, uh, Alison, in your ministry. Yeah. And um, over the last uh, couple of decades, you've ministered in many different countries.
1: Have,
0: yeah. Uh, in prisons.
1: I have around the world.
0: Tell us a bit about <clears throat> that. Yeah,
1: so... um I think one of the greatest moments for me in in prison ministry was in Rwanda, and I've ministered here in the UK, been to prisons here, in the UK. But in Rwanda, I specifically went to speak to uh, offenders of the genocide. Yeah, and I remember getting up and there being my husband. And I walked through this um, prison, and there was six thousand genocide offenders stood in front of me. 6,000. In this prison, I'm like, wow. And I was stood there thinking, how have I got here?
0: Oh, people who've committed atrocities. Yeah,
1: yeah. And um, how have I got here and what on earth am I gonna say? God, you need to help me have something sensible come out of my mouth for these uh, people and it was an incredible time. The praise and worship there was phenomenal, and the people coming to Christ, fully repentant of things they'd done. Um, I've never seen brokenness like it really in people ever. And when, one time we did, we gave out Bibles in a prison, and there was we nearly caused a riot there, not realising.
0: <laughs> what? Because people wanted them? Yeah,
1: they were desperate, desperate for the word of God. Um, it's just its an incredible place to be in. And I've also worked with survivors of the genocide as well. Um,
0: Tell us any stories, any, yeah, any stories that come some. to mind.
1: So um, there was one lady, I went to a small prayer meeting right down this mountainside, and um, they, they said, there's some survivors here of, of genocide, they may talk to you about it, and, okay and um, she came forward for prayer, and she said she had a headache, and I put my hand on her head, she had a scarf thing on her head, and I felt where a machete wound was in her head, and I was like, whoa, I've, you know, and I thought, I don't know what to pray for you, because you have a headache, and sometimes when they say they have a headache, it means they are very sad, they have depression, things like that, a heaviness on them. So I've prayed many times for people Who've been through atrocities who have a spirit of depression on them, uh, not surprisingly, and, and seen joy come from that.
0: And you saw it,
1: yeah, saw it, saw and, it,
0: and you see many things like that, yeah, in, in many countries, in that many countries, ministered. and
1: here, and yeah. here, and here,
0: yeah. Now, in, in the east of England, yeah. um, you felt a passion and a compassion uh, to reach out to women in the sex industry. When did that start?
1: So that began in um, probably 2005, not long after I was married. Um, Yes, I was having a chat with a friend of mine who's a Salvation Army officer in London. And she said, have you thought about reaching out to some people in Ipswich where you live? I'll go and see if, see if there is any in, in, in Ipswich, so I drove around.
0: And, and what's interesting is, you know, uh, Jesus' Great Commission,
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, going to Jerusalem, Judea, yes. Samaria, ends of the earth. Yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes we bypass Jerusalem, we Judea, do. and we go to the ends of the earth. Yeah. And that was a good thing that she said. It
1: was, definitely, definitely. And so I drove around the area, and I uh, did that for maybe six months to a year, just praying and asking God, What shall I do? And I met some other people who were also reaching out. So we kind of said, why don't we do a little bit together? And um, their style of doing it was slightly different to me, but it it worked, we worked together quite well. And then they left ultimately um, just after the murders, within probably within six months to a year of starting that sort of outreach. And it looked like going around the streets, praying with the women. Um, just really trying to immerse into that world, really, and be have a presence.
0: They started to call you the street chaplain. Didn't yeah,
1: they? well, no, I, I met one lady one day, and uh, she, I got out of the car to talk to her, and she says, "Who are you?" Thought, Good question. I don't know. <laughs> I said, "Well, kind of like a kind like, kind like a chaplain that you get in prison." Thought they'll understand that language. So it became I became known as Ali Church, Ali from the church. Um, and so as we began to reach out, then we had the serial killer. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, what happened there? In 2006. So women started disappearing. Suddenly, one day, disappearances started to happen and then the police realised that these were happening quite quickly. So they realised there was a serial killer potentially um, on the streets of Ipswich, which... which is what happened during. And
0: a number of women died.
1: They did. Five and women died. Five women, died. Five women and, died and you
0: knew some of them.
1: Yes, we did, yeah. And we prayed with them and uh, knew them by name and uh, it was a painful time. But it, it what that did, that threw what we were doing into the greater arena quicker than what we would have gone. It was suddenly world news. Yes. <laughs> and we were out on the streets doing outreach Best as we knew how into that context, really.
0: But you would you would go into the brothels,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and be there, have a presence, there. have a
0: presence there.
1: Yeah. So I've done communion services in massage parlors and crack houses. I've done um, been invited into places where drugs have been used and um, done mini church services almost at the request of the women
0: and they welcome you in. Yeah,
1: I've never had any problems, yeah, they do.
0: And you've seen some come out of it?
1: Yep, yeah. I would say a majority, the one, the original ones that I we worked with on the streets, a lot of them have passed away and died now because addiction catches up with you at some point. Your body starts to give up a little bit. Um, and others have, have made a decision to leave that lifestyle and I've got a level of peace as to where they are now. So a lot of what I do now is work with the survivors. I still do that. So I still work with some of the women i worked with for 15, 16 years, which is a real pleasure.
0: And you've created something called Sacred Space. I have. Tell us about that, Alison. Yeah, so
1: Sacred Space is, is what I renamed The Outreach, really. Um, and it's a place where we can come together I I take them to places where they wouldn't normally go. So, we go to a coffee house, or I don't know, um, (laughs) we took someone to a Chinese restaurant. Yes. Different experiences, cinema, places like that. They're all sacred spaces where we can be together and they find a level of peace. And we, we do chat about the scriptures, we can pray, but we don't have to do it. We just chat about life issues. And it's all, all of that is discipleship. Yeah, from it, my perspective. It, it's journeying it is.
0: with broken people. With the long
1: term perspective, which has been, I think, an incredible um, experience as an evangelist.
0: Absolutely. Really. And your book, uh, Walking with God, um, it, very interesting. It's letters. It is. Gone. Tell us wh- how, what inspired you yeah, so, to write this.
1: One of the women rang me up and uh, she said, "Right, I've got some questions about God. I want to know about ABC." And I was like, "Okay." And I thought, "I can, oh, I think I can write that the reply better than I can articulate it verbally." So I started to write some letters to the answers to their questions, and that's what that book is—a a selection of the, the the questions and the answers that I gave.
0: I mean, in many ways, I I, I read it and um, I was going to say they're like the letters of the New Testament. But in in that sense that these are pastoral letters dealing with some big pastoral issues.
1: Yeah, they are.
0: Uh, You and your husband, you oversee a ministry, Mission on the Move. We do. Which I, I like that. How did you come up with that name?
1: Yeah, it was actually a friend of mine who came up with it. I rang her up and said, we want to pioneer a new ministry together. Um, have you got anything in your head? Because she she's known me for over 20 years and helped disciple me, actually. Have you got anything in your head that kind of sums up? us? Oh, so she goes, mission on the move. Okay, that'll be it. That'll That's be how it. we came up with the name. Yeah. yeah.
0: But I suppose in many ways that does express... Uh, both you and your husband, uh, Richard, in what you do and how you do it. You're you're always on the move, aren't you?
1: We are, you? yeah. We you're are. not static. No, we try not to be. And
0: you're happy to go anywhere yep. and do anything yeah. for anyone.
1: I am. I totally am that person.
0: Recently, y- your husband has battled with mm. um, health.
1: He has, yeah. Um, was that a challenge? Massive challenge and a massive shock. Um, So, yes, last year in 2022, get the years right. Yes. um, Yes, it was around Christmas time, he became quite critically unwell, and I thought he had pneumonia, so I was battling to get the breakthrough in that situation. I thought, well, this is the same thing as mission, so I can get the breakthrough here, and I worked every which way I could for him to get that. And it turned out that it wasn't pneumonia at all. It turned out he had uh, has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And then we had the battle to decide between hospitals where we would get the biopsies and treatment. And they were saying he might have to go to London. I "I don't think he's going to make a car journey to London. So that's not going to happen. So then you have all these difficult phone calls to make um, where you have to just press in a bit without being horrible to anyone to get the breakthrough. And it's the same, I applied the same principles as I would do in pioneering a mission. And um, that was a huge challenge. And obviously we had to cover that all in prayer quite quickly. I mean, prayer is my husband's thing. he's it's his area of expertise. So I felt like I was out of my depth, but I do, I do know how to do some things. And I remember dropping him off at home one night. Once he um, they'd agreed to take him in to stabilise him, and uh, people were saying to me, "Why don't you come stay at I thought, "No, I just I need to be at home on my own. I need some space, some things to do." And I stayed up all night, and I I came back and I did. I thought I know I'd know what I know to do now. I'll pray, get down on my knees and plead with God. And I did deals with God. Which yes. you know, and I said, God, if you give him back to me, then I'll release him to do all the prayer ministry he likes and I'll help facilitate that. So I took his iPad into the unit. You know, I said, right, we're set up on here, you can do some prayer zooms, you need to be active, you need to keep doing what you're doing in ministry. Because I do know if you keep the mission going, above all things, God will meet you in that yes. with provision. So, we both have to keep the ministry going now. We have to live what we're preaching, really. Yeah. And that's what we did. And we got, we got the break he's now well. Um, he's come through six months of treatment, ongoing treatment, but he is well right now. So we just keep pioneering.
0: Pioneering. We do. And persevering. We do. And really, Alison, that's what faith is about.
1: It is. Isn't it? Yeah. Keep
0: on keeping on. It is. Alison, Wonderful to know you. Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I hope you've enjoyed that, and I hope it's encouraged you in your own journey of faith. It certainly has for me. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. No one is born a hero. They become one by repeatedly choosing to do what's heroic. Heroes of the Faith, Volume Two, J. John's brand new coffee table book, continues the testimonies of faith, sacrifice, love, generosity, and perseverance found in Volume One. Retelling 60 remarkable stories, including inspirational people such as Mahalia Jackson, Brother Andrew, Rasalama of Madagascar, and David Wilkerson, we're reminded that the road to being a hero is to take heroic actions one step at a time. Heroes of the Faith, Volume 2, available now from jjohn.com and other bookshops.